This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I know it's been a while since we were together, uh, and I, I apologize. Uh, Tony is running uh, legal counsel for Hunter Biden, so he's been a little busy, um, but he's with us tonight. So I can't that's believe good. that you would denigrate me in that in that fashion. But by I, the way, there are now two misrepresentations in our oh, intro. What's that? What's that? Uh, not only the one where uh, we agree to disagree. Uh, which okay. we often don't, but now it also says every week. Well, and given yeah. our given our recent um, <laughs> schedule, it should be more like every quarter. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not as frequent as we would have liked, but uh, here we are. Uh, so I, I'm going to start out with something I think we may disagree with. We may agree on it. Um, that's Brian Flores. And I talked about it briefly on my on my own a couple of days ago, but since then, Brian Flores. And if you're not familiar, hadn't listened, Brian Flores. He was the head coach of the Dolphins. Uh, he was not retained by the ownership, and he has filed suit against the NFL and a number of teams uh, claiming racial discrimination, uh, tokenism, basically for the Rooney Rule, which we can talk about in a little bit. But since then, yesterday, he was hired by the Pittsburgh Steelers as a senior assistant defensive backs coach and whatever. I... I'm not sure how, as a Steelers fan, I'm not sure how to feel about this. Cause one, I don't know if he's a good coach. I think he did a decent job in Miami, but I don't know if he was setting the world on fire and why he wanted to be a head coach, but would take a senior assistant role seems odd. And he's suing the NFL. So go to town. What do you think? Well, so I don't even know what you think. Uh, I have a couple, <laughs> I have a couple of thoughts. Okay. I actually think he's a good coach. Based okay. on what he did in Miami, with by the way, dragging a team to victories when the ownership was clearly attempting to tank. Uh, well, we can talk about season. that in a second. So we'll get to that. But so that I think I, I'm willing to accept that he's actually a good coach. Okay. My issue with him, and my issue with this uh, general notion that the NFL allegedly, because of racist entrenched white power structure reasons does not want to hire qualified black coaches I find to be facially absurd. Now you can say, well, Tony, first of all, you're a white man saying this. And number two, look, there's really no African-American head coaches other than Mike Tomlin. I believe Tomlin's now the only African-American head Lovie coach. Smith. Lovie Smith well, he just that. got, he just got hired. Right. Yes. So, last season, Tomlin and Flores were the only two. Okay. Now my, my reaction to that is number one, there is a limited number. How many teams are in the NFL, Chad? 32. 32. 32. So these are about the most difficult positions to obtain in almost any vocation. Okay. There's 32 available in the entire country, essentially the world. Cause I'm yeah. sure the NFL, if you came in from Peru and you were somehow had the best CV, they, they'd want to hire you. So what I find <laughs> ludicrous about this automatic argument that of course it's racist is the NFL, if nothing else, is the most cutthroat league in the sense that every one of these billionaire owners, 
and players want to win a Super Bowl. That is what they want to do at all costs. They spend gazillions of dollars in pursuit of that. And what you're telling me is that in a league that is predominantly, I think, 70% African-American, okay, so there's clearly no racial conspiracy to make it a white league on the field why in the world would there be a similar or a, a different conspiracy to have head coaches that we're not going to pick them on merit, even if they're African-American, we're going to exclude them? I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I simply don't believe it. Now, maybe I would buy the argument that sometimes African-American coaches um, – don't perhaps have the same connections within the league. Okay. So, sure. you know, there's, there's guys that are embedded because they come from certain coaching trees. And so maybe there are certain African-Americans who are equally qualified that perhaps don't have the entree, right? In other words, just like in any other job application in any other field, if you know all the people that hang with the management and you golf with the vice president, you're going to have a better shot than the outsider who might be more qualified. All of that exists in any job, but the idea that it's somehow, of course, due to racism is nonsense to me. Yeah. So, so do, do you agree or disagree with that? I agree, and I think there's some stipulations here. So part of his lawsuit stems from um, Bill Belichick sending him a congratulations for getting the Giants job when he hadn't actually interviewed for the Giants job. Wrong Brian, Brian Dobble, got the job. And I think this is where the Rooney Rule shows its lip service, effectively, that um, the Rooney Rule says you have to interview, is it two minority candidates or one? I can't I remember think it's. I can't remember. It's. One, I don't know. It's one or two. One or two. So the basis is you have to interview to give more opportunities to minority candidates. But the reality is, if you know who you want, you're, do, you're going through the process. If you wanted Brian Flores, you wouldn't have hired Brian Dobble before Brian Flores interviewed. That happens in real life, as you said. Well, here, hold on. Let me stop, though, because yep. the reason that Flores and his lawyers were allegedly or are angry about the Belichick texts or emails is because they, well, let's just say their claim is that it proved that what the giants had done was already hired double before mm -hmm. they gave a completely perfunctory token interview to Flores. But that has not been established because the giants have released the chronology of when they did their interviews and said, we had absolutely not made a decision about who our head coach was going to be. Belichick was basically reflecting conventional wisdom that it was likely that Dobble was going to be the head coach, which many other people had speculated about. Sure. Flores and his attorneys have turned that into a definitive claim that that hire had already been made. That is contested. So sure. that's the first issue. But go ahead. Yep. yep. So and to your point, if that's contested and they have chronology that says this hasn't happened, Belichick making an assumption isn't a legal justification because he's not involved in the Giants organization in any way, shape, or form. So he wouldn't know one way or the other what they decided. He might have talked to some said, hey, we really like this Brian guy, but yeah, I don't did, know. I mean, do people happen. think that Giants management is keeping Bill Belichick up to date no. on their coach hiring decision? No. And and I also let's just say Brian Flores, you might have dodged one there. It's the Giants. 
they've been a train wreck for a decade. So maybe that's not such a bad thing. So him getting hired by the Steelers, I don't, I don't know why he would take that job other than to keep his name in the NFL and maybe do a good job with that. I don't believe he is being racially discriminated against. Again, as a white guy, maybe that's easy for me to say. I agree with you. I think that a lot of, a lot of programs will try to win. I will, I, I will stipulate this. I think there's some major league action going on where they may hire somebody. And I'm going to use Hugh Jackson as an example. Hugh Jackson was a failed uh, coach at, in, for the Raiders. He was a very failed coach for Browns. And I want to touch on his allegation in a second, but maybe they hire somebody to get a better draft pick that they know they're not going to keep. And the Browns are a train wreck organization for the most part, since they came back in the league. So maybe that's just in keeping with what they've done. I don't know if uh, Brian Flores was encouraged to lose or offered a hundred thousand dollars to lose. I think Hugh Jackson is full of crap as he usually is when he speaks at a turn, when he said the Browns did the same thing for him and he could, he could prove it up until he had to prove it. And he said, well, it'll come out at the right time, which tells me he has nothing. Well, he has uh, innuendo and here, here's the other thing about, so of course the owner of the dolphins has, has denied ever offering that these hundred thousand dollars, you know, per game to lose. And the reason Again, on the merits that I tend to believe the owner is because I don't think any owner would be that stupid. No. So you're telling me that your evil mustache twirling plot to tank, the <laughs> way you're going to go about that is you're literally going to openly tell your head coach, I'm going to give you payments and you're going to intentionally lose games. There's simply no way I can believe that any NFL owner who actually wanted to accomplish tanking would be <laughs> stupid enough to do it in that way. They're just never going. So you're going to incriminate yourself and then your coach is going to go to the league and the media. I just simply don't believe that. Another point I want to make about Flores. Mm -hmm. So just because you're a good coach doesn't guarantee you a job. And there are other factors at play when these teams are evaluating the person that's going to be essentially running their team. He's not the GM, but he's the coach. Flores has a reputation of being a very difficult personality. He, mm -hmm. he clashed both with the GM and the coach in Miami. Now, whether you think the that, huh? Maybe I'm sorry, the GM and the owner. Whether you think that 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 Flores was right because he, you know, his position should have prevailed, here's the deal. If you want to be an NFL head coach, you're gonna to have to find a way to get along with number one, the person that's over you on the so-called organizational chart, and then also <laughs> the guy that owns the franchise. So yeah. If you want to ask me what's another possibility other than racism, why Brian Flores, who's a good coach, didn't get hired, it may be because owners and GMs within the league don't want to deal with a guy who has problems playing nicely in the sandbox with other people. Now, you don't have to like that, that that's a reason, but that is a totally legitimate concern when you're paying a guy five, six, seven, eight, ten million dollars to run your organization and yet he can't figure out how to get along with the guy who's his immediate superior and the guy that owns the whole company that's a problem yes well that and that's a complete problem i think i kind of touched on uh, my previous discussion with eric b why hasn't eric b gotten a job 
Andy Reid's willing to vouch for him. I think he's got some domestic violence issues in his past that may shy away from certain teams, but he seems to have done a good job as the offense coordinator. But I think the point I always come back to is just because you're a good coordinator does not mean you are a good head coach. doesn't mean you're not, but you can't say I can do this job and therefore I can do the whole job. We've seen that time and time again. We're great coordinators. I think Wade Phillips was a great defensive coordinator. He's a lousy head coach. He was a lousy head coach well, at every look stop. At the, look at the Anthony Lynn experiment in, yeah. in well, San Diego. It's no longer it's San Diego. Yeah. Um, an honorable guy, an incredibly well-respected guy. Uh, he, I think, was a position coach, probably a running, running backs coach. He was that. not a very good head coach. He, no. he just was not the right fit. So I just, it just is so tiresome, these knee-jerk, and of course you know the headlines write themselves, right? The <laughs> minute that any African-American head coach, head coaching candidate either doesn't get fired, doesn't get hired or is fired, mm-hmm. the only prism through which that will be viewed is, well, it had to be because it's racism. That's it. Well, you brought up that the NFL is 70% black or African-American. That doesn't mean that the coaches have to mirror that. See, we, what I get struggle with is, so if we're mirroring society, it's predominantly white. So we should have less jobs for minorities because it's predominantly white already. And that's how we should do things. So they want it both ways. And I don't sure, think exactly. They want, they want a pure meritocracy, which I'm all in favor of. I, I wouldn't care if the NFL was hundred percent female. If it yeah. turned out that all the people that were the best at playing offensive and defensive line and quarterback and cornerback were, if they were the best, they deserve to play right sure. now. It appears because of the nature of the positions that are required, that 70% of the people that can play at the ultimate level in the game of football, particularly at skill positions, happen to be African-American. No problem with that. What do they represent, Chad? 16% of the population? I thought it was closer to 12, but you could be right. Okay, so again, nobody ever trots out the whole, why does this not accurately reflect their proportional representation in society? Because that would mean we should have 17 white cornerbacks and why, you know, for starting cornerbacks in the NFL, how many cornerbacks, C-O-R-N-E-R, are there right now, Chad, in the NFL? Uh, Well, 64 starters. um, There's none. Oh, (laughs) There are no starting white cornerbacks. Oh, sorry, white. I thought you said black. No, uh, white in the NFL. So yeah. if we're going to use this whole disproportionate uh, underrepresentation canard, well, that should be a real problem, right? But to your point, nobody cares about that because they understand the best players are playing in those positions. But somehow when it comes to coaching, then it gets flipped on its head. Well, and that's that's the, the rub, isn't it? You can't – yeah, 14% is the – as of 2020. Another point. Final point on this. Yeah. I'm not saying that there aren't potentially a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of other African-American coaches who could fill those positions just as well. But Chad, here's the deal. Go back to our first point. There's only 32 spots and I bet there's just as many white coaches who could also fill those positions just like any other rare job there's probably a multitude of worthy candidates, but ultimately there's only so many slots that can be filled. So I'm not saying, oh, there's really no African-American coaches that could actually do that. I bet there's a ton 
sure. a ton within that universe oh, yeah. that could do it. But you know Lord what? Number. There's also a bunch of white guys too. And it just so happens that there's only a certain number of people that get those positions. Sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes it's the wrong decision. I just do not accept this reflexive critique that every time this happens and the larger narrative that it only has to do with race and nothing else. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Have you ever thought about why, well, we get a lot of retread. You get a lot of coaches who failed previously or were fired or quit and they tend to come back because they're a known commodity. So we get their known commodity, but they're no better the second time. Usually Belichick probably being the biggest exception to that. They're no better the second time typically, and they get fired and or get quit or something later, very shortly after. But we get a lot of retreads. We don't get a lot of new blood. And then when we get new blood, you complain that it's not the right blood. It's not the right people in those roles. I, I agree with you. There's 32 positions or 32. Yeah. There's 32 coaching jobs. There's a few more people than that in the United States. So there might be various people who could do that job. But I think it's really tough when you're an owner and you have the pressure. I've got to find somebody now. I can't wait six months to get around to it, to interview everybody. I've got to take what's available now because I have to get on to the next year of the NFL starting in March. I can't wait uh, you know, until June to get around to it after they've had the draft and everything else. So you, you really, you're under a lot of pressure to make a tough decision quickly. Even though they spend hours with these candidates, they, they, they don't get enough time, I think, to really get a feel for who are they. I mean, if you've ever, you've been on job interviews, I've been on job interviews. I don't care how long it goes. You really don't know the company or the people you're working for that well. And they don't know you. You try to put your best foot forward, but I've been snowed in, in interviews before. So I know that it can happen. You could make a claim. There's a lot of film. There's a lot of things about this person, but at the end of the day, if they don't know you personally and you seem like a good guy and people say, yeah, they're a good guy. Yeah. Maybe he took his cues from Bill Belichick who kind of is a, a bully and kind of gets his own way in new England because he's won six championships. Maybe that's what you're, you think you are, but you haven't earned it yet. I don't know. Maybe that's why he's difficult to work with. I have no idea. The other thing that you have to argue if you're buying into this racism narrative, remember, the NFL is one of the most exquisitely woke organizations now in our culture. From the commissioner on down, most of these owners have imbibed all of the latest claptrap that is being peddled by the social justice warriors. So what you also have to claim is that all of these guys who are down with Colin Kaepernick and out there for BLM and all this other stuff, they secretly don't want to hire black coaches. Now, I guess to a certain segment like the Jamel Hill coalition, they would find that to be a plausible explanation because it's like, that's right. They're pretending and they're really hiding their latent racism. But everything that the NFL has done from the ownership level in the last, what, at least five to ten years – They're Mm -hmm. on the social justice train. So you're going to have to make the argument that in only this respect, are they somehow unwilling to hire people because of their race? It just, none of it, none of it holds together for me. So tell me, Tony, if you, if you sued your firm, let you go and you sued them, do you think other local firms are going to take you on as a a member? (laughs) Does that seem likely? Um, no, which is why it amazes me in some respects that the Steelers, uh, have put this guy on their payroll. And in fact, I could actually make an argument if I'm Flores's lawyers 
in to say essentially the fact that he was hired at this peon level position merely further proves the NFL's animus against African American coaches, meaning no good deed goes unpunished here. I have no idea why the Steelers would have taken that risk. Well, maybe they're trying to defend the Rooney rule. Maybe they're trying to say, Hey, he's the only black coach at the time. Well, I guess Lovey Smith, but a black coach hiring another black coach, you know, but there's, there's multiple assistant black coaches around the league. That's nothing unique. But I don't know. not even a main assistant for them. So this is like the guy that went from being the president of the company and now he's being hired. I don't know to run the mail room. I mean, it, yeah. so it's a huge step down and I don't think it's going to help. If I'm the NFL right now, the minute, the rule is this, if you're suing the organization, you're not going to work for the organization in any capacity. I wouldn't think so. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, you, are you kidding me? How does that? I, I don't know. Uh, that just blows my mind. And I, we'll I don't say understand. for the next podcast, the fact yeah. that the NFL has hired one Loretta Lynch to quote unquote <laughs> defend the NFL. And I will say this as just a teaser. My theory about that is that this is going to be a, what what they call a sue and settle scenario. Do you know what I mean by that? The government, particularly under the most recent administrations of Obama and Biden got very good at allowing left-wing plaintiffs to sue the government and then give them sweetheart settlements because the government couldn't possibly defend against these allegations. And I fully expect that with the helpful guidance of Loretta Lynch, Brian (laughs) Flores is going to be getting a nice payout and there will be all sorts of recommendations for hirings and whatever else. I think that is a ludicrous on its face hire uh, for someone that is supposedly going to defend the NFL's interests in this. It does. It does shock you. The the bigger concern I think is the tanking. If we get down to that, if that actually happened, uh, the NFL has a bigger problem with that than they do with race and race is a a large issue. But if they're tanking, that throws everything else into, into out of whack. And I think that's, we'll have to wait and see if that actually can be proven. If someone can actually show me proof other than I was told this, if you weren't not in writing, and you can't corroborate it, I, I struggle with that. So let's move north of the border um, to uh, the communist utopia Greenland. of Canada. <laughs> Greenland. Uh, this has all occurred since we last spoke, but apparently the truckers in Canada have a backbone, and they've decided to use it. Now, Canadians, you don't talk about Canadian politics very often because who cares? But there's politics at work here, and uh, – Uh, Justin Trudeau, Comrade Trudeau, has uh, basically made it very clear, we're going to take your money, we're going to stop you, and it's a matter of natural security that that we do this to you. And I I truly believe that the Biden administration is watching this closely to see if they can do the same thing here. Uh, Absolutely. Well, from what I've read, the Biden administration has been, let's say, in close advisory proximity to the Trudeau regime. Yeah. So, I mean, I... I don't know what's going to happen. And a lot of the provinces have taken away their vaccine mandate and Trudeau looks like the bully that he's being, but it's, it's a little scary to me because even his ministers have come out and said, if you've participated in this, we're going to go after you. We're going to prosecute you for protesting. Now I, I, I'm not a protest guy. I I don't, I don't want to be, I'm not going to be standing in line holding a sign. I'm not going to block 
a road. And I don't like it when BLM does it. I don't like when Antifa does it. I don't like when anybody does it. I, I understand the trucker's point of view, but I do struggle with disrupting commerce to do it. Maybe that was their only recourse. They felt that was their only recourse. I don't know how you get your point across otherwise, but it really, it, I struggle with the whole protest thing. Uh, but I, I think the reaction from the Canadian government has really chilled everything from my perspective. Uh, I think we think of Canadians as nice, friendly, never get in an argument kind of people. Obviously that's well, not true. Well, wait, but those are not the it's people hot. that are, they're not the people that are running the country. Correct. The people that are running the country, particularly Mini Fidel, mm-hmm. um, he is exactly out of the same mold as all of the incredibly arrogant elites that think that they're entitled to rule in this country. And yep. I agree with you that um, I I am not in favor and I support uh, law enforcement or the authorities preventing protesters from, let's say, disrupting traffic, blocking roads. So I don't have a problem, okay, with the police coming and telling trucks, you've got to move on. You can't intentionally impede traffic. That's not my issue. The issue is, once again, the people who are the elites in, in Trudeau and whatever, Diana Moon Glampers, who his, his little uh, – zealous, whatever, vice secretary of public safety, they've been lying, gaslighting about these protesters from the very beginning. You know, he, he claiming, oh, they're terrorists. They're, oh, we, we see swastikas. We see conf- Confederate flags. Dude, Canadians yeah. don't care about the Confederacy. <laughs> That's not part of their country, Right. <laughs> Yes, I, I mean, don't that know. sounds like something that they got from Neil Young. Like, yeah, say, say there's Confederate flags. And if you look at all of the video that's I mean, there's hours and hours of video of all these people. It's all waving Canadian flags to almost I have not seen a single piece of video. Maybe it exists out there where the truckers have been violent. Now, contrast that. Of course, with the mayhem and looting and arson and destruction and murder, three dozen murders that took place over two years in this country when all of the same people, all of the same high priests of our culture, well, they thought that was just fantastic. Don't we love the, they're out there because they're expressing their grief and they need space to destroy. And this is a mostly peaceful, fiery protest, etc. And now it's completely flipped on its head. Why? Because all they care about is if you're not on the right side, we will crush you. So they like protests when those protests are in favor of things that the left supports. And isn't there an irony, Chad, that the people who love to talk about the proletariat, right? This, these are all, you know, these are all sort of these, these Marxists in their worldview. The, the lower classes, we represent them. Oh, except when they don't do what we want. And then we're going to send out the SWAT team to bash their skulls. That's yes. basically their, that's their approach. Well, that's through history. That's the, pro- the approach of the Marxist, the communist. You know, we, we support the proletariat because it's the largest group up until you don't support us. And then you're not really part of the proletariat. You're something else and we'll denigrate you. To, to your point with the, the Confederacy, I heard, I heard Trudeau, talk, Trudeau talking about uh, all the Trumpists in, in Canada. Now, why would they care about Trump 
in Canada. I don't understand. It's kind of like the Confederacy. What, what do you say? It's almost like they took the Biden playbook and tried to use it word for word in Canada, not realizing it doesn't translate. Well, you need to turn it into French and then back into English. It, it, it makes no sense. Just the way they're, they're portraying these truckers. And, and just so people understand, the reason they're, they were protesting is because they had to get a vaccine. And I think it was 94% of them had vaccines. They just didn't want to be told they had to have one. And it was not to leave the country. It was to come back in. And I think they said $323 million worth of goods go across that, that bridge daily uh, in trade. So that's a lot of, lot of money going back and forth. And they wouldn't have been able to come back into the Canada to, to pick up more goods. So it just seems odd that you would do this. I, I, did, you, did they overplay their hand? It feels like they've overplayed their hand of course considerably. Of course they've overplayed their and hand. And now they don't know what to do. No, they and, don't. And he's backed himself into a corner. Um, I was joking with a friend of mine, you know, because it's to the point where these leaders pick whoever you want, Biden, Trudeau, they're to the point where they will brazenly lie mm-hmm. and they don't, they know that you know that they're lying and it doesn't even matter. And I was joking with a friend of mine. I said, look, if he's only going to lie and he's going to go with swastika and Confederate flag, that is weak sauce. What he should have said, since he doesn't care what he's saying, is that the truckers were eating babies and clubbing paralyzed people. That's what he should have said. If you're gonna, if you're just gonna brazenly make stuff up, you might as well just be completely ridiculous. Right. We need to stop supporting the baby eating truckers. I mean, it doesn't matter what he's saying; it's completely false. But you're right. He's now in a position where, you know, what is he? He's, he's declared essentially almost like uh, it's basically national. It's like martial law, right? He's called yeah. out the Mounties, fix bayonets. Um, and so where does he go from here? What he should have done initially, but he has no interest in doing this because he wants to wield power, is to talk to these people and understand why they're upset. By the way, what's the medical basis for imposing this rule about vaccine mandates? Oh, it's non-existent at this point. It never, <laughs> it never was. There never was a medical basis for it. No. But instead, he goes immediately full authoritarian. And what you said at the beginning is correct. This is a playbook that they are itching to unleash here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad part. Uh, let me turn to. Uh, uh, a hive of scum and villainy, uh, CNN. I repeat myself, obviously. <laughs> I think that's, that's too, uh, too charitable. <laughs> uh, they're reporting that Vladimir Putin has invaded the two breakaway provinces by recognizing them tonight, uh, that they, they have invaded or just kind of come across the border to friendly governments that already were friendly to Moscow. Uh, part of me feels like this is a wag the dog situation where Biden has been building this up to be something to distract us from the crap fest that he keeps dumping on the U.S. every day in every way he possibly can. Uh, I, I think there is tension between Ukraine and Russia. Obviously, we saw that in Crimea uh, in 2014, but I, I don't know if it's the same level that we're supposed to be afraid of uh, or concerned with. And I've heard this many times, you probably as well. I'll, con- I'll care about the Ukraine-Russian border when the U.S. shows they care about the Mexican border. And until then, that's a bigger national security crisis than something happening halfway around the world. I think they're both important, uh, if, if in fact this is, because I believe, and I think you probably will agree with this, I think 
China is watching very closely what we do in Ukraine. You better believe it. We're going to do nothing. We're going to talk a lot. We're going to do nothing because that's what Biden is. And I wait, Taiwan is coming. China is going to take Taiwan and we're not going to do anything to stop it. Even though it's a sovereign nation uh, off the coast of China, China can claim everything they want. It doesn't make it true just because you make the claim. Well, and this is Uh, why I think that there's no way that this ends well for Biden, even if in their infinite political wisdom, they think that somehow a wag the dog scenario in Ukraine is going to distract from his cluster fail uh, on every front. Here's the problem. One of their main themes, one of their main fictions uh, has always been, of course, that Donald Trump is uh, you know, a Russian asset, and he was groveling to Putin. Interestingly, Putin didn't do anything like this when Trump was president. Uh, yep. But and that's the problem because the focus ultimately is still going to be on Vladimir Putin is getting exactly what he wants, despite having the big guy and his pudding cup in the White House. And so, because you are correct that we are going to do nothing, because as the uh, you ever see John Wick. Mm-hmm. As the father says to his foolish son who has messed with John Wick uh, and stolen his car and killed his dog. And he says, you will do nothing because you can do nothing. And so Joe Biden can do nothing. And all yes. it does is further highlight his complete impotence in the face of what supposedly was going to be a change, right? Right. I'm the guy that is going to stand up to Putin or, well, sit down because I can't stand very long. And <laughs> he can't do anything. No. So I don't see any scenario in which this allows them to make an argument, some, look, squirrel argument that's going to be better for them. It's going to ultimately be worse. Well, and my wife asked me about this. She said, well, you know, I don't understand. Donald Trump was president. We weren't involved in any conflicts like this. And I said, she said, was Donald Trump better at this? I said, I don't know if Donald Trump was better at this, but he surrounded himself maybe with some better people who could calm him down because I think his influences are reactionary at best. Uh, we were told last January that the Biden administration was the A-team. We've got the A-team back in charge, but then we saw Afghanistan. We're seeing Ukraine. We've seen inflation. We've seen gas. We've seen food prices. We've seen supply shortages. Some of that you can lay at the feet of inherent problems in the system that get broken down during the COVID outbreaks, but it's not made better by the people in charge. It continues to be worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, I don't know if Donald Trump was still president today, if the supply chain shortages would have been different. I hope they would, but I don't know that. I don't, I think the gas would be cheaper. I think Uh, certain supplies would be definitely cheaper. I don't know if we had, if we had gone out of Afghanistan as Trump wanted would we still have the same problem or we would we have done it better than Biden did? I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think do. that led to this. Well, I think I we do. would. Of I think we would, would have because, because nobody who isn't in a persistent vegetative state would have done it differently. It doesn't require Donald Trump to figure that out. Well, and hopefully he wouldn't, but I don't, I don't know that. I know that Afghanistan is leading to Ukraine, which is going to lead to Taiwan. Well, so here's, so to your point, we are, I think it is almost a 100% guarantee that during Biden's presidency, there will be sections of the Ukraine that will be annexed by Russia. Mm-hmm. China will invade Taiwan, and Iran will have a nuclear bomb. 
Yes. Uh, a, a nuclear bomb that can be attached to uh, a ballistic missile. Those three diplomatic triumphs will all occur on the, Joe Biden's watch. Now, to your point, is some of that kind of baked in the cake? Maybe. But for instance, they're simply doing a replay of the Obama playbook and capitulation in Iran. I mean, they actually have people on record, including Ben Rhodes, who is was Obama's fiction writing head yeah. of the you know the Iran deal, cheerleading the fact that this is likely to grease the skids for Iran. So, I mean, you want to talk about a succession of geopolitical disasters all on his watch, combined with the intentional and self-inflicted domestic issues that their policy agenda has created. I mean, in one year, this guy is, is by leaps and bounds surpassing almost every other president in our history for sheer ineptitude and malevolence because the people, and I include Biden in this because he's not that stupid, they're intentionally doing things, uh, again, to fundamentally transform America that are highly destructive to this nation's sovereignty, to its economy. And again, this is, so one of the things I hear from some of my friends who are conservative and who are very, very pro-Trump. And again, I'm not opposed to Trump, but I also think that Trump has a lot of flaws and I don't want Trump to run again. I don't either. Um, they will say there's no difference between the parties. It's all the uniparty. They're all globalists. I mean, this you read this all the time and you hear this. So in other words, and I say, so wait, what you're telling me is that, for instance, Tom Cotton equals Maisie Hirono <laughs> equals Ted Cruz equals AOC, right? I said, is that what you're oh. actually saying? And th so these people believe it. Well, you know what? The, take a look at what has unfolded in just a little over a year of the Biden presidency because of the policies that they have implemented. And you tell me, now look, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with someone who says there's a lot of Republicans in Congress who are do nothing feather betters. And you know what? They're right. And those people need to go because they're not conservative at all. However, I will vote for the most weak need craven establishment Republican, pick who you think that is, Mittens, Murkowski, whatever, over at present, any person in a leadership position within the Democratic Party, because their party has been completely overtaken by the radical left. And just take a look at the policies that they're supporting. And yet there's people that will say it doesn't matter doesn't matter, and so I'm not going to vote for anybody. Well, I think that that is folly, and I think Joe Biden proves that that is folly. I, I would agree with all of that, and I, I was just reading some statistics tonight before we went on. One month ago, last week, gas has gone up $0.06 cents on average. Uh, in the last month, it's gone up almost $0.23. Cents. In the last year, it's gone up eighty, almost $0.88. Cents. But, Chad, what is offset there is that the administration pointed out that your last July 4th picnic, yes. the cost decreased by, I believe, $0.26. Cents. Yes, that, so, that increased by $0.26. Cents. But put on top of that, electricity prices on average have gone up almost 60% across the country for generation of electricity. Doesn't matter. Do we have a... Do we have a supply shortage of coal? No, we're still using coal. We, we don't have nuclear. 
what happened in the last year to increase electricity prices that much? My natural gas prices are going up. Uh, groceries are obviously going up harder and harder to find things in stores at different times, different stores, different days of the week. You can't tell me. Remember the old One line? One year from, ago, Chad. Yes. One year ago, we were a net exporter of energy. In one year, this administration has now created a situation where they are begging OPEC to pump more oil because we don't have sufficient supply and they have – well, this is the other ultimate just idiocy and highlights how absurd their policy positions are. On the one hand, they've lifted the sanctions on Nord Stream 2, which is the pipeline that feeds billions into Putin's pocket daily, and yet they have cut off, including the Keystone Pipeline, all of our own domestic energy production, and yet they're astonished. They just can't imagine why the prices at the pump are through the roof. So they've made us energy-dependent again, this is, has also national security implications because now we're reliant on the OPEC cartel once again for our oil. And for what? Uh, what's, what's the goal? Well, we know what the goal is. The goal is that they're enthralled to the green cult, and they seem to think that somehow, because AOC, I don't know, did a white paper in her bedroom, that we're going to be able to transition off of fossil fuels in, I don't know, what's the new deadline before the earth ends? Five years, seven years, which anybody that knows anything about energy, I think renewables at present represent – 2%. 2%. Six, no, I think it's like 6% of our total energy production. And all of those renewables like wind and solar because of intermittency and lack of power density have to rely on what, Chad? Traditional fossil fuel coal-fired energy as backup when they don't work, which is frequently, particularly in the winter, close to 80 or 90% of the time. And yet these are the geniuses that are claiming that we are going to transfer our entire economy onto wind, solar, and flubber in the next decade. It is lunacy. It's lunacy because it's always been lunacy and it's not going to be changed just because somebody wants to believe it. And, and you said before, uh, the, the increase in gas prices is a design. It's not a flaw. Uh, it's a feature, not a, ben- or it's a benefit, not a feature. Uh, they are definitely trying to do this because they want to run everybody out of business and force us to go on to something that is not capable of handling the, the energy needs of this country or any other country for that matter. I don't care who it is. If you're a green energy person, then you should want nuclear, Period. Because that is the only thing that is green enough for you uh, to actually supply the energy needs of this country. Otherwise, shut up. Right, and it's interesting because a lot of the a lot of the sophisticated European countries that they love to tout for their policy prescriptions, they actually like nuclear. You yeah. don't hear much of that from the Greens because, for instance, France, um, and they have no explanation for it other than it has nothing to do really ultimately with the environment. Uh, As with all of their schemes, it simply has to do with wielding power and redistributing money that isn't theirs to their favored constituencies. That's all this is about. And that's why people like Bjorn Lomborg and other legitimate environmentalists, who by the way are now being demonized, have come out increasingly and said, this is all a cargo cult. In other yes. words, we are very in favor of environmentalism. We are very in favor of 
preserving the earth and not polluting, but this fixation on global warming and is is ridiculous. And it's yeah. predicated on these all falsified models. It is, and now, of course, they simply repeat the same mantra that the CDC cultists repeat, which is, "Well, the science has spoken." And of course, Dr. Fauci <laughs> is science, but in fact, the science is completely the opposite of what they are claiming, and they uh, and they simply don't care it, because it doesn't matter. So you need to get out of here in this, but I want to I want to close with this. We'll, we'll talk about the John Durham thing when there's more information to talk about, but put that on the back burner for the moment. Uh, emails came out today linking the Biden White House, the CDC, and Facebook, along with Pfizer, on a working partnership designed to increase public support for COVID-19 vaccines and discredit anybody who questions government policy on the issue. I'm uh, not shocked by this. You're not? I'm, re- I'm retiring to my fainting couch right now. The shock to me is that any of these idiots put it in an email. That's the shock to me. That no, you're but you know why? Stupid. You know why they put in an email? Because they don't care? Because that's their level of arrogance. Wow. They don't care. Why would Francis Collins have put in an email to Dr. Fauci uh, when the Bar- the Great Barrington Declaration, the, the three guys originally that came up with that, why would Francis Collins have been brazen enough to email Fauci and say, we need to basically destroy these guys. We need to yeah. call them fringe and we need to ruin them. Because... They think that they're untouchable. It doesn't matter. And, and they may be right because obviously uh, what people don't know is Pfizer has no liability on the COVID-19. Nor does Moderna or Johnson Johnson. They, they hold no liability for these vaccines that they put out. The government absolved them of any liability if there was anything that came up later because of that. Oh, and things are coming up. Well, things are going to come up. But think about that. You developed it rapidly. It came out. It's not as effective as we had hoped or were promised. Uh, it doesn't keep you from getting COVID. It just tends to make it a little less severe, probably maybe for some people. Uh, but there's no liability for the company. They get to claim all the profit from the sale of that product that they have no liability on. From a big from big pharma standpoint, that's awesome. I get to get you well, your I mean, money. It's, it's beyond it. awesome. I mean, it is it is a deal of They'll, they'll never see another scenario like this in a thousand years. No, uh, now, that's, that's Trump. I, I'm, just so I'm clear, Trump sure. negotiated that. So I'm not giving Biden the blame on that. The whole collusion thing with Facebook and, and the CDC is, is probably more Biden than Trump. But uh, Trump gave us a deal. This is a, this is a coercive nature of big government telling you what to do, how to do it, and when to do it, and hoping nobody would ever see – this light or they, the arrogance you said they don't care. The actual or even perceived conflicts of interest are, are are staggering. And again, for instance, why is it that the FDA has been slow walking approval mm-hmm. of other therapies mm-hmm. that are not vaccines that have demonstrated efficacy in fighting COVID? Well, a cynical person might suggest because of the sweetheart arrangement that the vaccine companies have they don't want any other drugs that cost far less to be on the market cutting into their incredible you know this is beyond a golden goose it's i don't know what it is it's like a golden megalodon and 
here, so the other the other thing that's interesting to note about this, and of course the media doesn't even seem interested in questioning this, and you've alluded to this, the CDC uh, is not going, or no, the drug companies are not going to release their testing information for 75 years. Yep. Now, do you think that, I don't know, somebody that's just an ordinary person who would say, well, gee, like why wouldn't they release that right now? so that everyone can see how did these tests come out? What were any of the side effects that were demonstrated? And you're going to hide this for almost, well, not almost, three quarters of a century? What possible policy reason could there be for that? Uh, protect ourselves from something we don't want to come out. It's the, it's the only rational explanation. Now, there may be nothing to it, but the fact that you won't let us see it, won't let us review it, makes me think there's something there, even if there isn't. Yes, you, and the CDC's constant manipulation of its own data. Uh, the CDC has released almost none of its testing data relating mm -hmm. to vaccine efficacy across various demographics. Why is that? I, I mean, there is simply no legitimate reason why all of the raw data... Now, I, of course, what Dr. Fauci would say is, well... The, the deplorables are going to not understand this. And then there are going to be people on social media who will spread misinformation. Oh, I see. And we're going to trust you to be the arbiter of what is misinformation. You know what? He's right. There are going to be people that spread misinformation. That's, that's exactly what happens in a free society. But yep. there's going to be other people that are not going to spread misinformation and who are going to actually understand the data. And that's the biggest problem for the CDC. They don't want the people. They're not scared of the misinformation. No. They're scared of the information. Yes, they are. So that's all the time we have tonight, folks. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. Anything you want to add as we, no, sorry that we had to do a, a relatively for us, although maybe it's merciful, Probably. short uh, <laughs> podcast. But yeah, for the next one, we I definitely want to dig in a little bit to the Durham uh, okay. stuff, which is which is pretty fascinating, even though it's revealing only more of what we already knew was going on with uh, already suspected. Yes, yeah. with the Clinton campaign and all the rest. So that'll be fun. Okay, so thanks for joining us, folks. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. <laughs> This has been a Hannah Tree production.